you can go ahead and be seated. As you do, join me in prayer. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, great triune God, we worship you. You are Lord, King, Master. You are God over all, forever praised. We praise you this morning as your people, bought by the blood of Jesus, drawn by your Spirit. We thank you for saving us and calling us out of darkness by your grace. And we come to you now to say we want to know you. We want to know who you are. We want to see your glory. And so I pray that hard hearts would be softened, that blind eyes would be opened, that we might see and know and taste how glorious and awesome you are. Show us your glory, great God. Show us who you are. And help us not to buck against what you show us, but help us to embrace and receive with great humility. Kill the pride that exists in our hearts. Kill the pride that exists in my heart that thinks I know who you are by myself and help me to submit to your truth. If you open your word, Lord, speak to us. Help us to see, help us to know, help us to embrace. I pray, God, that you would help me to serve these, your people, by declaring clearly the truth that is in your word. Lord, my desire is not to be clever or cute, but to be clear, so that by a clear statement of the truth, you would be known by your people. You would be seen and embraced. Lord, do that now. Do your work and have your way. Whatever way you want to work in us, Lord, would you just, would you just take over? And I pray you do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, welcome. It's so good to be together this morning. If, you, if you're a guest with us, we're really glad you're here. We f- hope you feel welcome. We hope you feel valued. And we hope you'll stick around after the service and introduce yourself to us. We would love to get to know you a little better. If you've never been here before, we're about to do something really strange. We're about to read a passage of Scripture that was written... A long, long time ago, 2,000 years ago almost. And we're just going to think about what it means and what it says and how it applies. The reason we're going to do this is because we believe this passage, Romans 11 is where we're going to be. We believe this passage and all the Bible is the authoritative word of our God. And so we desperately want to hear God speak to us. We want to, we want to be changed by the power of His word. If you don't have a Bible with you, you probably can find a Bible, a hardback Bible in the pew rack in front of you. And if you grab one of those hardback Bibles, Romans 11 starts on page 946. 946. And if you don't have a Bible of your own, feel free to take that hardback Bible with you as a gift from us. It would be a joy to us to provide you with your very own copy of God's Word. By the way, if you have a smartphone, the ESV Bible app is free to download. It's an awesome app. You can read the Bible there. You can actually have the Bible read to you on that app. I would highly recommend the ESV. It stands for English Standard Version Bible app. It's free to download. Well, let's read Romans 11, verses 1 through 12. and Let's bend our ear to our God as He speaks to us. Romans 11, beginning in verse 1. The Apostle Paul says, I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means. 
For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected His people whom He foreknew. Do you not know what the Scripture says of Elijah? How he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have demolished your altars. And I alone am left and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too at the present time there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking? The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear down to this very day. And David says, Let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. Verse 11. So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? This is the God-breathed word of our God. May He use it to encourage and to challenge us today. One of the reasons I think it's so valuable that we read and think about the Bible, spend some time thinking about what it means, how it applies to our lives, is because of something we saw in the passage last Sunday. In Romans chapter 10, verse 17, Paul said this, So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the Word of Christ. So the Word of Christ is the Gospel that's revealed in the Bible. The good news that Jesus is our righteousness before God. And Paul says one of the ways that God builds faith in us is through hearing God's Word proclaimed. Remember Paul asked the question, how will they hear unless someone preaches? And when the Word of Christ is preached, faith is the outcome that God is working in His people. So listen, God is at work doing 10,000 things in our lives at any given moment. At any given moment, God is at work doing more things than we could possibly count. Most of that is unknown to us. But this we can be confident of right now. That God is working in our lives in order to increase and grow our faith in Him. That's the desired outcome of hearing His Word. Greater and stronger faith. And so the reason Romans 11 exists is to strengthen our faith in our sovereign Redeemer. And the particular way that this passage is designed to strengthen our faith is by reminding us that God is faithful to His promises and to His people. God is faithful to His promises and God is faithful to His people. That's what God wants us to believe 
and trust according to this passage. Notice that Paul begins in verse 1 by asking, has God rejected His people? He's referring to the Jews. Has God rejected His people? And his answer is emphatic and definitive. By no means. And then notice in verse 11, he asks a similar question. Did they, the Jews, stumble in order that they might fall? I think what he's asking is, was Israel's stumbling final? Like, are they lost beyond finding? And the emphatic answer again is, by no means. So Paul is saying, even though Israel has rejected the Messiah, even though they stumbled over the stumbling stone, even though they've hardened their hearts against God, even though they've tried to earn salvation by their own works, God has not abandoned His people or His promises. Even though God has opened His arms to welcome His people, and yet He has been scorned by them, God is not done with them. So the big picture of the book of Romans, this passage in the big picture of Romans Paul is defending the righteousness of God. Can God be trusted to do what he said he's going to do? Has God's word failed? Is the question he asked in chapter 9. And this is what we learn. God will never reject his people. And God will never reject his promises. He is a righteous God who does what he says. Period. And so this passage is about the glory of our God. This passage serves as foundation for why we should trust God. For why we should put our faith in Him and why we should honor Him and worship Him as His people. And so, let's consider what Paul says in this passage about God that should give us confidence in His righteousness. Who is this God that we trust? Who is this God that we worship? And I see three main truths about God in this passage that should encourage us and challenge us Today, Here's the first truth. Notice, God did not reject His people, but chose a remnant. Here's the first thing Paul says about God in this passage. He did not reject His people, but chose a remnant. This is the main truth that Paul is explaining in this passage. And I see four proofs that Paul gives for this truth. So under this first point, four proofs that God has not rejected His people but chose a remnant. The first proof is Paul himself. Paul himself. Paul uses himself as proof in verse 1 that God has not rejected Israel. So Paul points to his own salvation as exhibit A as to why we can be confident that God is faithful. Paul says, I myself am an Israelite. I'm a descendant of Abraham. I'm a member of the tribe of Benjamin. Paul would describe himself in Philippians 3 as a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was saying, I am as Jewish as you could possibly get. You couldn't get more Jewish than Paul was. An Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. And this is why Paul is so heartbroken over the Jewish people's rebellion against God and His Messiah. Paul wants his kinsmen to know this incredible gospel that he's proclaiming. And what Paul is saying in verse 1 is that if God can save him, God can save anyone. Paul had such a hard heart against the gospel. Indeed, Paul persecuted the church. He killed Christians. Paul knew himself as the chief of all sinners. If God was going to reject Israel, Paul would be the first one to be rejected. 
But God supernaturally saved Paul. God opened Paul's eyes and heart to the beauty and truth of Jesus to show that God has not rejected His people. See, that God hunted Paul down is proof of God's faithfulness to His promises and to His people. Indeed, the salvation of any Jew is proof that God can be trusted and His promises are true. And so Paul uses himself as the first proof. The second proof is in verse 2, and it's foreknowledge. The second proof is God's foreknowledge. So Paul says, God has not rejected His people whom He foreknew. You see that in verse 2? This is a theological argument that Paul is giving. Foreknowledge and election is evidence that God's Word has not failed. We've seen this again and again in chapter 8 and chapter 9 of the book of Romans. Remember, we've talked about this. God's foreknowledge is not just His ability to know the future. Yes, God knows everything past, present, and future exhaustively. But foreknowledge isn't just a reference to the fact that God knows everything. His foreknowledge is His forelove. He decided beforehand who He would love and set His affections on. If God foreknows someone, He will never reject them. Remember in Romans 8, we saw the golden chain of salvation. Those whom He foreknew, He also predestined. Those whom He predestined, He also called. Those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. So no one is foreknown by God who is then lost or rejected. They are kept secure to the end. And that's the theological argument Paul is making in verse 2. His argument is that God did not foreknow every single Jew. Remember in chapter 9, he said, not all who are Israel are true Israel. Not everyone who's descended from Abraham is a descendant of Abraham. If this is the way that God saves based on His sovereign decision, then God has not rejected His people whom He foreknew. Those who were ultimately rejected were not foreknown, foreloved by God. That's the second proof Paul gives. The third proof is Elijah. The third proof that God has not rejected His people, but has chosen a remnant is is Elijah. So Paul uses the example of Elijah to show that God has a remnant of Israel. So notice in the middle of verse 2, Paul reminds us of the example of Elijah's appeal to God against Israel. There's there's a subtle rebuke here in verse 2. You should have known this. You should think of this, Paul says, when you think of God not rejecting His people but saving a remnant. Remember the story of Elijah? He had just won a massive victory against the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. Remember, God sent fire down and consumed Elijah's offering in front of everyone. And after that, Elijah purged the entire land of the prophets of Baal. Well, that made Queen Jezebel really mad, and so Elijah had to flee for his life into the wilderness. And the great prophet Elijah had himself a big old pity party in the middle of that wilderness. He felt like he was the only one who was being faithful to God. He felt like he was the only one who was trusting and worshiping God. Notice verse 3. Lord, they've killed your prophets, they've demolished your altars, and I alone am left, and they're about to kill me. 
But how did God respond to Elijah? God responded by revealing to Elijah that he was unaware of what God was doing. God had a remnant of 7,000 men who had not bowed the knee to Baal. And Paul's point in bringing up this remnant of 7,000 that God had chosen for Himself, the point is in verse 5. Notice, so too, Paul says, so too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. Just like there was a remnant in Elijah's day, so too, Paul says, in the first century there's a remnant, and so too we believe today there is a remnant that God has. God has a remnant of believing Israelites who prove that God's Word has not failed and He has not rejected His people. There's one of the truths that we learn from this example is that God is always doing more than we can see. It might seem like we're the only ones being faithful. But friends, our perspective is really limited. We can only see so far, and our perspective is often skewed. God is doing a million things in the world that we have no clue about. And so it's foolish to begin to assume that God has abandoned His promises. We cannot see everything that God is doing, but we know we are sure that He is indeed being faithful to His people and faithful to His promises. And Elijah's the third proof. But notice the fourth proof Paul gives, and that is the grace of God. He gives the grace of God as proof that God has not rejected His people, but has chosen a remnant. So the final proof of God not rejecting His people is the amazing grace of God. Verse 5 says, This remnant is chosen by grace. The point is to make clear that this remnant of believing Israel is not some super special Jews who are being really faithful to the law of God, who are, who are really obeying God, not like the rest. No, Paul says they are chosen by grace. And verse 6 makes clear, if salvation is by grace, it is certainly not by any works that we do. Otherwise, what use would grace be? Paul says, let grace be grace. Don't try to make grace something that is deserved or earned. Don't try to smuggle your righteous character into the righteousness of God. If we are chosen, it is by grace alone. We are chosen to be righteous in Jesus by the unmerited favor of God. And so Paul says, no longer relate to God on the basis of your works. It is by grace alone. This is how we know God has not rejected His people. Because He chooses people by grace alone. Friends, you either save yourself by your good works, good luck with that, or God saves you by His unmerited favor. There is no other way of salvation than by grace alone. And so Paul's point is that God has not rejected His people because He has chosen this remnant by grace. This remnant of believing Jews who are part of the true spiritual people of God. Part of the true people of God that He has chosen, that He has foreknown by His grace. So this is good news, friends. Paul's whole point here about God not rejecting His people and choosing a remnant is good news to us today because we're the people who believe in the faithfulness of God. We're the people who believe that God keeps His promises, that all of His promises are yes and amen in Jesus. And if this is true, 
we can be confident that He will remain faithful to us all of our days and indeed into eternity. So what a joy that we can say we are part of the chosen people of Jesus by grace alone. That's the first truth about God that Paul gives. But here's the second truth, and this one's going to challenge us this morning. Paul says, God hardened the rest of Israel. God hardened the rest of Israel. So Paul's talking about God. He's talking about who God is and what God has done. He's showing us the glory of God. And he says to us in verses 7 through 10 that God has hardened the rest of Israel. Paul has just said a remnant of Jews were chosen by grace. That's great. But a logical question that we've got to ask is what about the rest of Israel? What happened to all of the Jews who are not chosen by grace, who are not for love by God? In verse 7, Paul says plainly that the rest, that is those who were not part of the remnant, were hardened by God. Notice Paul quotes from the Old Testament about how it was God who hardened them. Friends, this is going to challenge our instincts this morning. You see, there are some things in the Bible that are really hard to understand. There's some things in the Bible that we come to them and we just kind of throw up our hands like, I'm not really sure what that means. But then there are some things in the Bible that are easy to understand, but hard to embrace. And I think this is one of them right here. You see, God's ways often go against our instincts and our judgments. When we read the Bible, I think we have to be aware of our sinfulness. Literally, our sin has tainted everything about us, including our predispositions. And I think our constant temptation, my constant temptation, is to adjust God's Word to our own understanding. We see God say something clearly, and we think, oh, surely that couldn't be, surely it's not that. We often take what the Bible says, and we try to alter it to fit what we think is right or wrong. But friends, I'm urging us to allow the Bible to shape our thoughts, our instincts, our understanding. Allow the Bible to build the categories in us that God wants us to have. This is one of those areas in the Christian life where I think we have to die to ourselves and embrace the truth as God reveals it to us. And so as I studied this passage this week, I was confronted with a question. Justin, will you preach the clear meaning of this text to God's people or will you adjust it so that people like what you say? Or probably even a bigger temptation for me this week was, Justin, will you just breeze past this and hope no one notices? <laughs> you see, I think this is one of the reasons we, we preach through books of the Bible, passage by passage, and one of the reasons this is so helpful, because it forces us to deal with what the Bible says instead of just picking and choosing the passages that support our own preferences. So what is the clear teaching of verses 7 through 10? What is Paul saying about those who've not been chosen by grace. Notice it. Verse 7 says, the rest were hardened. And then in verses 8 through 10, Paul quotes several passages from the Old Testament to support this claim. The quote in verse 8 is a mashup of Deuteronomy 29.4 and Isaiah 29.10. In the Deuteronomy 29 passage, Moses told the Israelites that though they had witnessed great wonders from God, 
They had seen the plagues on Egypt. They had seen the Red Sea split in two. Though they had witnessed awesome things, God had not given them eyes to see or ears to hear. From the Isaiah 29 text, Paul quotes a part of the judgment of God rendered on His people. He gave them, God gave them a spirit of deep sleep. A spirit of stupor, Paul quotes it here. The word stupor means a state of dullness or even unconsciousness. God gave His people a lack of spiritual sensitivity. That is, He gave them a hardness of heart. And in the context of these quotes, it makes clear that this was a self-induced hardness before it was ever a judgment of God. It was the people's own fault. The second quotation here that Paul gives in verses 9 and 10 is from Psalm 69. The imagery of Psalm 69 is really difficult to understand exactly what it means, but my best guess is that it means that Israel's blessings which Paul highlighted at the beginning of chapter 9, all of the things that God gave Israel, all of these advantages, they have become a curse to Israel. What was an advantage to them has turned out to be a snare to the people. Now, a word of clarification is in order. This hardening, this blinding that God does is a reference to God's righteous judgment on sinful people. This is a judicial hardening. This hardening, these people that are being hardened, are not people who are morally neutral to God. I think that's where we go wrong when we read passages like this. We just assume everyone is morally neutral. No, these are not morally neutral people. These are people who have decided to reject God in His ways. We saw that clearly at the end of chapter 9. These are people who have willfully turned their backs against God. These are idol worshipers. These are people who are responsible for their unbelief. In fact, notice chapter 10 verse 21 says they are a disobedient and a contrary people. God is opening wide His arms to them, welcoming them, and they are a disobedient and a contrary people. So someone could hear this truth that God hardens people, God blinds people, and have a really wrong picture in their mind. The picture is not that God is turning away people who are wanting to come to Him. No, it's not as if there are droves of people coming saying they want to believe in Jesus and experience the grace of God, and God is saying, no, no, stiff-arming them. That's not the picture. But rather, the picture of this passage, the picture that the Bible gives, is that God is welcoming everyone with open arms saying, come, 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 enjoy my grace, enjoy my bounty, come and treasure the Messiah. And everyone who comes to Him will be received by Him with open arms. Everyone who comes. However, without exception, everyone is running away from God. Everyone is scorning His invitation. Everyone is contrary and difficult and disobedient. All people have forsaken God and have run after other gods, including you and I. But in God's mercy, God has graciously reached out and saved some of these rebels. He's decided to change their hearts and allure them to want to come to Him. And He's done this freely by His grace alone. However, for the others, here's what the text is talking about. God has given them over to their sinful desires. God has given them exactly what they want. He's given them exactly what it is they've chosen. 
God has judged them by hardening their hearts and blinding their eyes. Listen, God is in complete control of who He saves and who He hardens. He's the potter and we are the clay. And so what this means is if, if you're in Jesus this morning, if you're one of God's true Israel, if you're one of God's people, this passage should move you to tears of joy that you are among the number who've been welcomed, who've been chosen by grace, who've been foreknown. You're not among the number who've been hardened and blinded. You deserve to be blinded. You deserve to be hardened and so do I. But we've been chosen by grace. But if you're not believing in Jesus today, I urge you to, to come to the Father. Come to the welcoming arms of this God who chooses by grace. If you rebel against this God, if you go your own way and you scorn God's many blessings to you, He may just decide to give you over to your sinful passions. He decide to give you exactly what you want. And friends, please hear me loud and clear. If you go to hell, if you go to hell and bear the wrath of God for your sins, it is entirely your own fault. Your blindness, your hardness is entirely yours to blame. But if you're redeemed, if you enjoy the grace of God in Christ for all eternity, it is entirely God's doing. He alone deserves the praise. As we said so many times in this Romans 9-11 through study, human responsibility and divine sovereignty are never at odds. God is completely sovereign and we are completely responsible for our response to the gospel. Everyone, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the clear truth Paul is teaching in verse 7. God hardened the rest. He chose a remnant by grace and the rest hardened and blinded because of their rebellion against Him. The elect were given grace and salvation. The rest were hardened. Why did God do all of this? That's the third and final truth about God I want you to see in this passage. God planned for the gospel to bring riches to the world. Number three, God planned for the gospel to bring riches to the world. So Paul says God has chosen a remnant by grace and God has hardened the rest. And starting in verse 11, Paul is going to share the results of what God has done. Paul is going to say that Israel's stumbling is not final. God is working His purposes through Israel's trespass. So notice verses 11 and 12 again. Paul says, So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now, there's a valid interpretation of Romans 11 that says the phrase full inclusion at the end of verse 12 means that one day in the future, all ethnic Jews will come to salvation. That's a valid interpretation of Romans 11. However, the way I understand this passage takes full inclusion here to be referring to the full inclusion of the elect remnant 
that Paul has just been explaining. The full inclusion of all of those chosen by grace. And so what Paul is teaching here is that both the Jews hardening, he uses the word trespass in verse 11, and the believing remnant, their full inclusion, exists for the purpose of bringing riches to the Gentiles in the form of salvation. The reason God has done all that we've been talking about, hardening and choosing, is so that riches would go to the world. So Paul says, because of God's plan to save a remnant and harden the rest, salvation has come to us Gentiles. Israel's stumbling had a purpose, that riches go to all the ends of the earth. And the salvation of the Gentiles has this purpose, Paul says. The hardening of Israel has a purpose of salvation to Gentiles, and the salvation of Gentiles has a purpose, Paul says. In verse 11, Gentiles are being saved in order to make Israel jealous. We'll talk more about that, God God willing, next week. But notice what happened. Try to put it in some kind of order here. Paul says, first, Israel stumbled. Second, because of Israel's stumbling, salvation has gone out to the Gentiles. Salvation to the Gentiles is intended to make Israel jealous because she's not experiencing God's riches in salvation. Fourth, the jealousy will be used by God to bring about the fullness of the chosen Jews. And then fifth, Israel's inclusion will mean yet more riches for the world. As John Stott says in his commentary on this passage, thus the blessings ricochet from Israel to the Gentiles, from the Gentiles back to Israel, and from Israel to the Gentiles again. This is God's plan. Paul is saying that the salvation of Gentiles is intended by God to awaken jealousy in Israel so that they would want to have this rich gift. You see what this is? This is a real live picture of the promise God made to Abraham in Genesis 12. God said, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In you, riches, the riches of salvation will go not just to Israel, but to all the world. God's plan and purpose has always been to spread His blessings to the whole world. And He chose to do that through choosing Israel to be his special people. The choosing of the remnant, the hardening of the rest, is for the purpose of salvation to every tribe and tongue and language and nation on earth. And that's the means of the full inclusion of the Jews. God's plan has always been riches to the world. And today, friends, we are beneficiaries of those riches. We have every spiritual blessing in Jesus. We have been adopted as sons and daughters. We have been fully included in all of the riches that God has promised to His people. What a joy to be part of the blood-bought, grace-chosen people of God. More on this next Sunday as Paul continues to talk about these blessings ricocheting back and forth between Israel and the Gentiles. But for now, let me highlight a few application thoughts from this passage. Four application thoughts before we leave. Number one, praise God for His faithfulness. Praise God today. Let this passage draw you to worship and praise God for His faithfulness. All God's promises are yes 
and amen in Jesus. Never doubt that God is being faithful to you if you are in Jesus. Never doubt that your circumstances are somehow revealing to you that God is being unfaithful to you. No, no. He is only faithful all the time. Secondly, if God can save Paul, he can save anyone by his grace. If God can save the Apostle Paul, he can save anyone by his grace. Friends, there is no force in all of creation more powerful than the grace of God. It is irresistible. And Paul's example, he's a great example of the power of God to save the worst of sinners. Friends, Paul tried every way possible to try to earn God's grace. He was the purest of the pure. He did all the things. And he realized that none of that earned him any favor with God. Friends, here's the good news of the amazing grace of our God. You don't have to read your Bible every day or come to church every Sunday to be saved. You don't have to have Jewish blood running through your veins. You don't have to flog yourself for your many sins. You don't have to climb some mountain in Tibet. You don't have to become a monk or a nun. God saves by His grace alone. If you have salvation, it is not because of any good works you have done. If you have salvation, it is not because you were born into the right family or at the right location or at the right time. It is always, only, and ever because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. It is by grace you have been saved. And so I pray God is saving people in this room right now by His grace. Everyone and anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, Jew or Gentile, male or female, young or old, slave or free, will be saved by grace. Third application. Be faithful even when it seems like no one else is. Be faithful even if you have to be faithful alone. Friends, we're not saved by our faithfulness, but if we are saved by grace, we will want to be faithful to our God. And many times, and I could testify to this, like Elijah, we feel like we might be the only ones being faithful to God. It may seem like everyone else around you is being fake. There may be no Christians at your work or in your class at school, but friends, God always has a people. Our job is to be faithful to Him no matter what. We can't use the excuse it was too hard to follow Him by ourselves. So friends, what is God calling you to do? To obey Him and trust Him, even if you're the only one who has to go out on that limb, who has to take that risk, even if no one else is obeying, what is God calling you to do? And friends, is your life reflecting the riches that God has given to you in the gospel so that others will look at you and want what you have? That's what Paul's talking about in this jealousy. Israel will see the Gentiles and say, man, I want that. Is your faithfulness to God attractive to others? Be faithful to your God no matter what. And finally, number four, Jesus is building his church. Jesus is building his church. This text teaches us that everything is not always as it seems. God is doing more than our eyes can see at any given moment. It may seem like the church today is small and not very influential in this hectic culture. 
It may seem like we're just spinning our wheels as a church, no real impact on the community around us. It may seem like we're making no difference at all. But friends, Jesus is building His church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. History is moving according to the purposes of God, even if we can't see it. And so my encouragement to you is get on board. Get on board with God's plan for His church. The church, Jews and Gentiles together in unity, is the vehicle God is using to display His glory to the entire universe. For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Friends, let's commit ourselves to our gracious and faithful God now. Oh God, we commit ourselves to You. We commit ourselves because You're the faithful God who always keeps His promises. So would You help us to have eyes to see, to have ears to hear, to have hearts that are sensitive to Your Word and to Your movement. That we would trust You. That You would build faith in us today. Faith in You. The God who's not rejected His people but chosen a remnant. The God who hardens The rest, the God who is planning for riches to go to all creation, would you help us to trust you, cling to your promises, and rejoice that you have given us the riches of salvation in Jesus. Thank you for your plan, for your grand plan, and thank you that we can trust you. Your grace is indeed amazing. Help us to be in awe today. And I pray you'd help us in Jesus' great name. Amen. Amen.